0: Good morning, everyone. It is Sunday. It is January the 17th, 2021. It is currently 11.06 a.m. Central Time, and it is time for us to turn our attention once again to the Book of Romans. The Book of Romans. This, woo, that we're about to get into a very difficult... I, I know, I know what I'm going to say. I See, I'm about to say we're going to get into a very difficult section but I feel like I've been saying, I think I've stayed, I think I've started every sermon in the book of Romans by, we're about to get into a difficult section. Hey, we're about to start a difficult section. Hey, this next chapter is going to be crazy, crazy difficult. Hey, this next chapter is the hardest chapter in the book. I think every sermon in Romans has been started by explaining the difficulty that we are facing. And I, I know people maybe start thinking you're just I'm just saying that to be saying that. But I'm saying that because it's real. Like I I the more the more I look at the book of Romans, the more I look at it, the more I study it, the more I read it, the more I am convinced that all of the sermons I've ever heard on the book of Romans. It's just, they're, they're not being honest because they try to act like it's just, it's so straightforward. It's so simple. It's so easy. And it's like, what what are you talking about? I think anyone who reads the book of Romans has to be just at times completely confused, confounded, bewildered. I don't know what word you want to use. Like what what is going on? How do I understand this? So here's what we're going to try to do this morning. We're going to go back to Romans chapter 8, and we have to answer a very important important question. All right? And here's the important question we have to answer. Christians are non-Christians. What exactly is Paul referring to here? How do we understand this? What is he trying to say? In fact, one uh, commentary, let me see how they put it. Let me see how they stated it here. They stated it, let me look here, give me one second, let me look here, they stated it uh, this way, Um, they stated it this way, is Paul describing two kinds of Christians, one carnal and one spiritual, or is he contrasting the saved and the unsaved? So is this about two different kinds of Christians or is this about the saved and the unsaved, the Christian and the non-Christian? What is he trying to accomplish here? That's what we're going to have to figure out. And trust me, no matter how many hours we spend on this, we're not going to get everyone on the same page. Not, not everyone's going to agree with this. There's, not, there's going to be massive disagreement but i think um i think if i think if we um i think if we're not careful here we can allow the disagreement to just we, we i think we 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 can have this this is what i think can happen well if no one agrees then i'm just going to stick with my perspective because nobody can agree i think we're going to have to really ask ourselves is our perspective right is our perspective correct and this is the way i would challenge you this is really going to come down to you know is paul talking to the christian or the non-christian i think this is really going to come down to you being honest with what is true inside of you and what is true in the world of christianity that you see around you like you're we're good we have to look there because we cannot come to a conclusion that completely not not in accordance with what we experience and what we see around us, we can't we just have to take the other into consideration, and we're going to do our best to try to figure that out. So here we are romans chapter eight let's let's build our let's build back to where we were, and let's put this through. all right, so here we go. here we go, Romans chapter eight, verse one. there is therefore now no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, remind ourselves, first of all, this is great news in Romans chapter 8, that there is therefore now no condemnation. And the reason this is such great news is because in Romans chapter 7, and I'm going to be repeating this a lot, Paul told everyone about the horrible situation that not he not only did he find himself in, that we all find ourselves in. Remember what he said, Romans chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. Hey, the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, I'm sold under sin. So what does Paul say about himself? Hey, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. And you're like, Paul, you are really messed up. And he's like, yes, I am messed up. I am completely messed up. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do... Now if I do that I would not it is no more I that do it but sin that dwelleth in me Paul's acknowledging sin is still inside of him and and he and he and the things he wants to do he doesn't do and the things he doesn't want to do those that he ends up doing And then he says "O oh, wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death?" and then he says "I thank God through Jesus Christ." Christ is the solution and then in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation Now That is great news, that is wonderful news, if we remind ourselves of the bad news. It is wonderful news that there is therefore now no condemnation, and we have to remind ourselves, if the problem was that I am a sinner, and I'm going to continue to fall in sin, and continue to not do the things I want to do, and continue to to do the things I don't want to do, if that's going to continue to be true, then I, the fact that there is now no condemnation has to be based on something other than my behavior. And we know that yeah, I, there, the reason there is no condemnation, it is for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Because if you are in Christ, what is imputed to you? His righteousness, his obedience, and the forgiveness of sins. His sacrificial work. His sacrificial work of removing your sins is, is yours. His passive and active obedience is yours. His holiness, his righteousness. So I stand before God in Christ as obedient, as holy, and without sin. That is what I am in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. Verse two, for the law of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So the law of the spirit of life in Christ that's made me free from the, from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin and the flesh. Now verse four, that's where all the controversy was. We talked about this recently. We spent a lot of time on this. I showed you how most of the commentaries answer verse 4, and I reject it. Verse 4 says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. What some people, how some commentators treat this is, hey, once you become a Christian, once you've been saved, once you've been forgiven, now the righteousness of the law can be fulfilled in you. You're now free to fulfill the righteousness of the law. The righteous demands of the law can now be fulfilled by you in the flesh. That you can practically do it. And I'm going to argue, no, it, it, it cannot be done in us. It, we, we can never fulfill the righteousness of the law in us. We never can. The only way we the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us is because the imputed righteousness of Christ is accredited to us. This has to be speaking of our positional standing. I know all the commentaries disagree. And I read the commentaries in the last time that we looked at this, and they all say basically the same thing. Now that you're a Christian, you're free to obey God. You're completely free to obey God. You're completely free to fulfill the righteousness of the law. Now, every commentary that says that, the person writing that commentary, they they didn't fulfill the law. Nobody reading that commentary fulfills the law, the righteousness of the law. Nobody does. So I I reject that view outright because it's just not true. I I, I I cannot even begin to explain the psychological damage you do to Christians when you tell them now that you're a Christian you're free to fulfill the law. And the reason it does psychological damage is either some, it brings them to a total point of despair where they're like, this is pointless, this is useless. And they end up basically going crazy like Luther would like, because you just never can do it. Or two, here's the, the psychological, psychological damage I think it causes. It convinces you to, to pretend that you're more godly than you are. In other words, you start pretending you start, you start diminishing some sins as not being that serious and you start patting yourself on the back that you're so righteous and you're so holy because you don't commit certain sins when you're completely denying the fact that you're still not fulfilling the righteousness of God's law. But you, that, that's psychological damage when you have to play some mind game with yourself to say, hey, I'm fulfilling the righteousness of the law in me because I'm saved. I I just reject that completely. Now, this brings us to the next section. And I don't know where to stop this section, but what we're going to do is we're going to start looking at verse 5, and we're going to go down to verse 5 to at least verse 8, to at least verse 8. And I'm going to read this, and I want you to listen carefully. Now, if everyone was here, I would be asking you to give me the answer I still may do so, so members of Victory Baptist Church who have access to the chat, this is a good time for you to be ready to answer, all right? I'm gonna give you a second to get ready. Give you a second to get ready. Be ready to go. Be ready to type. Be ready to give me your answer, all right? Here we go. Romans chapter eight, let's read verse five to eight. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. All right, now, here's what I want you to do. In verse 5 to 8, what do you see? I'll even make it easy for you. In Romans 8, 5 through 8, do you see contrast? And if you do see contrast, can you identify four contrast that happens in Romans 8, 5 through 8? Can you identify four contrast? that appears in Romans 8, 5 through 8. All right. All right. Can you identify the four contrast? Romans 8, 5 through 8. I'm going to let the members of Victory Baptist Church. Now you can, you could be, you could be clever here and just say, yes, I see the four contrasts and not identify the four contrast. but that would not be a sufficient answer. So just saying that you see the contrast is not sufficient. You need to identify the four contrast. Do you see four contrast here? Romans eight five through eight. If you see the four contrast, what are they? I will give you time to answer. I'll give you time to be a part of the discussion. Now you can always be a part of the discussion at any time, but, but you, know, you can be free to do so now as well. Romans eight five through eight. Four contrasts. Do you see them? Do you see them? I got Seth typing. Let's see. He says life and death, all right. All right, life and death is actually the second one I have listed, but okay. It's not the first one. Flesh and spirit, flesh and spirit, all right. That's the first one I have listed, very good. All right, so flesh and spirit, life and death. Good job, good job so far. Flesh and spirit, life and death, that's two two contrasts. We need two more, ladies and gentlemen. The, the, one of them, if you, if you miss one of them, I will give you a pass because I, I, you may, it, it's kind of have to read it into the text a little bit. It's kind of implied. I don't think it's explicit. I think, uh, so I think three of them are pretty explicit and one of them maybe not. Life and death, flesh and spirit. See if anybody can find the other two. Find the other two. For those who are just tuning in, we're in Romans chapter 8, and everyone's trying to find four contrasts that are identified in Romans chapter 8, verse 5 to Romans chapter 8, verse 8. Hostility to God, hostile submission, okay? All right, you're getting there. Carnal, spiritual, okay? All right, here's what we got. All right, so very good. Everyone's doing their, everyone's very good. Some of you are really close, all right? Carnal-minded, spiritual mind, okay? All right, here's what we got. Look at verse 5, Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. All right, I think everyone can see that when There's a contrast between flesh and Spirit. All right, I think that's pretty obvious. All right, verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. So we have death and life. I think everybody sees that. Verse 6 and 7. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. All right. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. I put it down, war and peace. Because we have peace mentioned in verse 6, but we have enmity against God in 7. So, I'm going to say war and peace. And then verse 8. So, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. I have pleasing self and pleasing God. So, flesh and spirit, verse 5. Verse 6, death and life. Verse 6 through 7, war and peace. And verse 8, pleasing self and pleasing God. All right? Those are the contrasts. Flesh and spirit, verse 5. Death and life, verse 6. War and peace, verse 6 and 7. Pleasing self and pleasing God, verse 8. Those are the four contrasts, all right? Yeah, yeah, the hostility, submission, yes, yes. That, uh, that was definitely the same, saying the same thing. All right? Those are the four contrasts. Now, you can write those four contrasts down, and you can look at them. In these contrasts, and let me I read again from one commentary. In these contrasts, is Paul describing two kinds of Christians, one carnal and one spiritual, or is he contrasting the saved and the unsaved? So let's go with the saved and unsaved way of, and a lot of times I just pull out lots of commentaries and read commentaries here. I'm not going to do that here. I'm just going to try to articulate the argument without reading commentaries here, right? So here we go, all right? Because the last time we had to read a lot of commentaries so that you could see that because I want, sometimes when I articulate these ideas, I'm like, these are out there in Christianity, sometimes someone will say, well... I've never seen that in Christianity, and I'm like, I don't, just go read commentaries. There you go, all right? Just because your church never said it doesn't mean it's not predominantly in the world of Christianity, okay? So, here we go, all right? Let's look at this. Let's go with this idea that what Paul is setting up here is a contrast. Ultimately, what he's doing, he's using these four contrasts to establish a contrast between here are the saved people, here are the unsaved people. So, if we go with this argument, then this is the way this would all read. Romans chapter eight, guess what? Romans chapter eight, verse one. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are not condemned. Now this almost ignores Romans chapter seven. For this to work, you almost have to ignore Romans chapter seven, right? Or you have to make an argument that in Romans seven, when Paul's saying, hey, the things I wanna do, I don't do, and the things I don't wanna do, I do, that you would almost have to say that Paul is describing himself before he became saved. But then he became saved. And once he was saved, he realized, now I'm, not, I'm no longer condemned. I'm in Christ Jesus. And not only am I no longer condemned, and I'm in Christ Jesus, because I'm in Christ Jesus, then guess what? The, uh, the righteousness of the law is now fulfilled in me because I no longer walk after the flesh. I walk after the spirit. So we almost have to read it that way. That What Paul is saying is, hey, I'm no longer condemned. Forget what I, whatever happened in Romans seven, that was before my salvation. But now I'm, I'm, I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm no longer condemned. And now I'm going to fulfill the righteousness of the law in me by my actions because I don't walk after the flesh. I walk after the spirit. And then the argument would say, then what Paul does starting in verse five, he's like, okay, now if you're truly saved, then this is how it's going to manifest itself. And then we, we'll go through the uh, contrast. The, the contrast, verse five. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. So, hey, if you're truly saved, if you're truly saved, you will only mind the things uh, after the spirit. You will not mind the things after the flesh. All right, uh, let's Romans 8, five. I'm going to pick up a different translation really quick. I got to move the, the Catholic catechism there. All right, let me pick this one up. Let me go back to Romans eight. I could pull up all kinds of those. Okay, here's here's how the NIV uh, translates it. Romans eight five. Since Stephen's not here, I just pretend that Stephen's here, and so I just brought an NIV, so I can say, "Hey Stephen, what does the NIV say?" Well, I just got it right here. Okay, in fact, I set it right here on the same table, so it's right here. It's it's Stephen here, kind of not really there. Okay, Romans eight five. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So if this is a contrast between saved and not saved, is saying, hey, I'm no longer condemned. I'm in Christ Jesus because I'm in Christ Jesus. Now I can fulfill the righteousness of the law because I don't walk after the flesh. I walk after the Spirit. And then Paul says, and if you are like me, if you're truly saved, then guess what you're going to do? You're going to you're going to set your mind on the things of the spirit not the things of the flesh. Now let's just stop right there. So guess what this becomes? This becomes the test to determine if you're in Christ Jesus. How do I know if I'm in Christ Jesus? Because I mind and think on the things of the spirit. I think about what the spirit desires, not what the flesh desires. I think I'm mindful of that. That's what I care about. That's what I think about. I think about the spirit, not the flesh. Now, come on. Just be honest with yourself. Who, is there any Christian who does that even 80% of the time? 70% 70% of the time. And if, even if you do it 90% of the time, is that now, is that all it takes? I got to get a 90 here. 90% of the time, I mind the things of the spirit and not the things of the flesh. Boom. That, that's, that's salvation. Or would it be a hundred percent? Now, remember, the, the argument is, and what many believe is that what Paul does here is he draws a contrast between the Christian and the non Christian. That's what many commentaries go with. That's how, oh, how many sermons I listen to and like, hey, here's how you know you're saved. Here's how you, here's, how, here's another test. Look, if you're here this morning and you are minding the things of the flesh, you are not in Christ Jesus. Therefore, you are, you are still condemned. Now, if you're here this morning and you mind the things of the spirit, congratulations. There's therefore no condemnation in you. So now you're no condemnation is based off what you do. And they'll say, no, 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 no. It's not based off what I do. It, I do these things because of what Christ did. But the point is, I only, my only hope of not being under the condemnation is based off what I'm doing, which is just a roundabout. You still end up at the same destination. So is that the way we understand that contrast? And I want you to be honest with yourself. What does it look like? What did, because? And here's the problem. It becomes very difficult what does that look like? Like the first thing you'd have to do is what does this look like in your life? That you, now, that you now mind the things of the spirit and not the things of the flesh. That your thinking is always about what the spirit desires. Your thinking is always about what God desires. Your thinking is always that. It's never on the flesh. What does that look like in a practical way? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Even if you can pull it off on a Sunday, what does it look like the rest of the time? What does it look like? I only desire what the Spirit desires. That's all I desire. Don't desire anything else. What does that look like? I mean, someone's got to articulate. Like uh, the, the the commentaries to say this this is a proof of Christianity. This is a proof of salvation. They don't they don't spend much time really explaining what it looks like, or they or they always do this. Here's what it looks like. And then they always throw this last statement in at the end. However, none of us are going to do it perfectly. (laughs) Well, then how do I make this a test? If I'm not going to do it perfectly, then what's the criteria? So is this a a, a contrast between the saved and the unsaved? All right. Let's continue. All right. Next. All right. Uh, the, The next contrast. The next contrast we have flesh and spirit. Next is death and life. Verse 6. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. All right. So how, if we use this as a contrast between the saved and the unsaved, the the saved and the unsaved, the unsaved is carnally minded. They're carnally minded. Therefore, they, they end up, they're dead. They're dead in their trespasses and sin. But if you're spiritually minded, you have life and peace. You have life and peace. So this, this, this contrast between death and life, and I think Diane uh, stated it as uh, carnal versus spiritually minded, which is fine. I just wanted to focus on the life and death part. And because the reason I focused on the life and death is this is the argument, the, the people who believe that this is a contrast between the saved and the unsaved, uh, they, they focus on that life and death part. But let me ask this. So what does it mean to be carnally minded versus being spiritually minded? What does that look like? What what does it mean to be spiritually minded? And are you always spiritually minded? Are you always spiritually minded? Do you always have in mind the things of the flesh or the things of the spirit? Now, nobody can say they always do. Nobody can, and therefore, I'm, that's my problem. And, and, and to be carnally-minded and spiritually-minded, it's, it's just building on the same concept. Well, if spiritually-minded life and peace, carnally-minded death. I think the point is spiritually-minded brings life and peace, and carnally-minded leads to all kinds of problems, difficulties, pain, suffering, and all kinds of, of problems and sin. But nobody does it perfectly nobody so if you don't do it perfectly then how do you measure this contrast and I know someone say, well just generally speaking generally speaking you should be more spiritually minded than carnally minded again that sounds that, that's a good way to get around it but it doesn't explain how how do you measure that you would have to sit around with a notebook and go, okay like today I think I spent see I was awake uh, ten hours today or whatever Two hours today, however long people stay awake. Okay, um, I was I was awake this many hours, and okay, oh, man, I think I think I got about I think I got a, I think I got about a fifty percent in. Well, does, how do you? And people say, well, no, that you're just making it foolish. No, I'm asking an honest question. If this is a contrast between the saved and the unsaved, then you these are questions you have to ask yourself because you want to be in the unsav- you want to be in the saved column and not in the unsaved column. So there's flesh and spirit, death and life. Verse 6 and 7. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Now we have the contrast between war and peace. Is your mind at war with God or at peace with God? You'll say, well, my mind's at peace with God. Are oh, really? So your mind always just thinks that which is in accordance with God. Your, your mind never reflects any thoughts that's contrary to God's thoughts. Never. You, you're completely at peace now. No, the war is over. Your brain is no longer at enmity with God. You just, just you, every time you speak, every time you, all I get from your brain is spiritual thinking. I, look, I've talked to too to many of you. I, I don't know. You've talked to me. We all hear our brains not putting forth the things that are in peace with God. We put things that are enmity with God all the time because our brain is at enmity with God. So does that mean I'm not saved? All right, we got one more. One more. Verse 8. So then, that are, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. All right, so what does it mean to be in the flesh? What does it mean to be in the flesh? Well, that means you, you're focused on yourself. You're focused on yourself. So this really comes down to your thinking, your desires, your will. What, if, if you are supposedly a Christian... Then according to this, then none of that, you don't have selfish thoughts. You don't have, you're not minding the things of the flesh. You're not, you're not living for self. You're not trying to please self. You're trying to please God. You're not carnally minded. You're, 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 you're not at enmity with God. Your mind is perfectly at peace with God and all of it's thinking. So in other words, you would be, I don't know, perfect. And I know what I'm gonna hear. No, just the general direction. Just the general direction. Well, the general direction for one day. Like, how many days do I not go in that general direction, and then realize, wait a minute, I'm not saved. Oh, well, no, 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 no. Okay, well, in a couple of days, I'll get back in that general direction. It's it's got to make some kind of of sense. All right, uh, <laughs> all right. There, there it, there's got to be there's got to be a way to understand this because I, I'm just having a hard time. So let's do this. Those are the contrast, right? Christian or non-Christian? Now, many, again, most, I will say most commentaries make an argument that this is a contrast between Christians and non-Christians. In fact, I think I have one right here. Um, okay, let me see here. Um, if I if, if I have the, I just want the statement here. Okay, Um yeah, just, I'll just give you an example. Um, Paul is, he is contrasting, and these, uh, this is an exact quote from a commentary, commentary. in Romans five through, uh, in Romans 8, 5-8, through eight, Paul is contrasting the saved and the unsaved. Here are the four contrast, and then they name them a little differently than we do. And then it starts out immediately, the unsaved person does not have the spirit of God and lives in the flesh and for the flesh. His mind is centered on the things that satisfy the flesh. But the Christian has the Spirit of God within and lives in an entirely new and different sphere. His mind is fixed on the things of the Spirit. Then please note, wait a minute, This does not mean that the unsaved person never does anything good or that the believer never does anything bad. It means that the the bent of their life is different. So now see, now it goes from a dogmatic statement to just the bent of your life is different. It's just a different bent. Is that what it's saying? Does it say the bent is different? No, it says those that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but those that are the spirit, the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then that are in the flesh cannot please God. These seems to be very dogmatic declarations. So what can we do with this? What can we do with this? Well, I'm going to offer two passages of scripture for us to consider, all right? I'm going to give us two passages of scripture for us to consider. And I'm not saying they're perfect, but we have to at least take these other passages of Scripture and bring them into our consideration of Romans 8, right? And everyone probably knows the first one that I'm going to offer up, right? So here's what I'm going to do, members of Victory Baptist Church. What passage of Scripture do you think we need to bring in to this discussion of Romans 8 to try to figure out these four contrasts, to try to understand these four contrasts, saved or unsaved? What other passage of scripture do you think is absolutely essential to bring into this discussion? What other passage of scripture? I'll give you a chance to answer. I'll give you a chance to answer. I keep turning away from the microphone. All right. Give your chance. Here you go. Your, your, your chance to prove your how good you are at, at cross-referencing. All right? What's a good cross-reference? Like an essential cross-reference. Because if we're going to draw a conclusion here, we got to make sure that conclusion holds true to the rest of the Bible, right? So what other passage would you bring in here? I'll give anyone a chance. If you don't know, just say you don't know. That's where I I, I won't keep waiting. So if you don't know, say you don't know, and then I'll know that you don't know, and then I'll try to tell you what I do know. All right, I'm waiting. Okay, I got Galatians 5, Colossians 3, okay? Galatians 5, Colossians 3, okay? Anybody else? Galatians 5, Colossians 3. There's some, there's, I think there's one that's just absolutely critical here absolutely critical because remember the way this is being set aside is hey here here's two kinds of people here's the saved and then the unsaved the saved are the people who man who spiritually minded not carnally minded not going after the desires of the flesh not pleasing themselves all right got first peter all right i don't think anyone's going to offer it up so i'm not going to wait uh Let's see, hang on, here comes another person. I'll wait and see what they have to say. I'm going to go ahead and turn to the passage in, in mind here. They stopped typing, so either they decided not to provide their answer. Right. Oh, there we go. There we go. All right. Uh well, not the one that I was looking for, but in the right you're in the right chapter. wait. 1 Corinthians 3:12. That's interesting. Okay, okay, 1 Corinthians, yes. 1 Corinthians, that's where we want. Uh, Yes, 1 Corinthians. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter three. Maybe uh, it was meant to be verse one through two. Verse 12 is interesting. We we could kind of work on that one. But all right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter three, verses one through two. Paul, writing to a church, dum-dum-dum, and he refers to them, and I, brethren... He referred to them as brothers. Now, brothers in the flesh. Now, we could get, we'd have to get into a discussion: is the Corinthian church a Jewish church or a Gentile church? Right? That would be something because if it's Gentile, then we then that would just destroy the idea. He would be referring to them as brothers in the flesh, right? Like, hey, you're a Jew, I'm a Jew. If it's a Gentile church, then like that would that would that would just destroy that argument. But he refers to them as brethren, which is a hint that he's referring to them as as Christians you can drink of water. And then he goes on to say, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Now, wait a minute, Paul. You just said that those who are saved, according to many interpreters, that, hey, those who are saved, you you, you walk in the spirit. You mind the things of the spirit. You don't please the flesh. You're spiritual. So you don't do all of these other things. But he just says to this church, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Wait, what? How could he speak unto them as carnal? Even as unto babes in Christ. Now, look, all the argument about brother, because brethren, I've read all of the commentaries going, that, see, he's not referring to Christians. Then what is, he just called them as babes in Christ. So you can be a babe in Christ and be carnal and not spiritual. That's what, how else do you read that? I, I cannot speak unto you as spiritual, but unto carnal, as ba- you're ba- babes in Christ. You're, you're immature in your faith. Well, that did that mean they're not saved? Does that mean the bent of their life? Because he seems to be saying that the bent of their life demonstrates carnality and a lack of spirituality. And then he goes on to say, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able. For you are yet carnal, he says it twice. For whereas there is among you envying, strife, divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? And then he goes on to describe all of their fighting and arguing. And you can just read the whole book of 1 Corinthians. And if those are Christians, I'm sorry. That goes against the interpretation of Romans chapter 8. Because Romans chapter 8, according to the way some people interpret it, is, hey, 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 look, there's no condemnation in Christ. And the way you know that there's no condemnation in Christ, and the way you know you have that, That there's no condemnation now upon you is because here's the way you walk now. Here's the way you live now. Now you look at yourself. If you meet this criteria, yeah, there's now no condemnation. But Paul, writing the same human author, writing to a church, Paul clearly knows his theology as articulated in Romans 8. Here he goes. Now, you could say 1 Corinthians written. Well, we have to get into the dating of the books. Okay, so I got to be careful there. I don't have the dates in front of me. But the point is, same human author, whichever case, he wrote this to Corinth, whichever book he wrote first, you get the idea that the theology would not be consistent. The theology would not be consistent if what he's saying in Romans 8 is this is a contrast between the saved and the unsaved. Because what he should be doing in, in 1 Corinthians, in fact, what he should be doing in almost every chapter is you're all lost. You're all. In fact, he shouldn't even be trying to fix the problems of the church. He should just say, look, there's a lot of problems in the church. There's no way to fix these problems because you're all lost. You all need salvation. So I'm not going to sit here and address the problems. I'm going to address the reality of your lost condition because these problems demonstrate you're lost. He does not do that. Why does he not say, hey, you're all lost? You've got, we, we can't ignore 1 Corinthians and our interpretation of Romans 8. Now, let's go back to Romans 8. So there's the first big one that just jumps out at me right there. Right there just it shows off. And then we could get into a whole discussion. Uh we could get into a discussion of why, over and over and over, Paul tells people, put off, put on, put off, put on, put off, put on. Why do you have to struggle to put off and put on? Because according to Romans 8, if you're a Christian, you're just now spiritually minded. You now you don't please the flesh. You don't serve the flesh. You think All you think about are the desires of the Spirit. And that's how you know. It seems to be a constant struggle with trying to put, set my affections on things above putting off the old, putting on the new. It seems to be a constant, never-ending battle. Why? Because it seems the reality is that we've all experienced is that we're saved, but we still sin and have a desire for sin, and we still struggle. And we're never going to have a... Now, I'm not saying that the Christian life should not look different, but if you, if you do it, this is what you have to do with Romans 8 if you, if you believe it's referring to Christian versus non-Christian. You have to just f- convince yourself that you're always, you always have enough of this that you're on the Christian side. And I think what you do is you start downplaying the reality of how much time you don't mind the things of God. How much time you don't think about the things of God. How much time you demonstrate being carnally minded. Because we all do. All right now go back to Romans 8. Go back to Romans 8. All right, we're going to run out of time here. That's okay. Now, one other possible evidence, all right? So I'm going to ask you again. So I gave you, first, we, we gave, looked at 1 Corinthians 3. Now, I wrote in my notes that I'm looking here on my iPad. I wrote, run one more passage down. One more passage down that I think has to be taken in consideration for Romans 8. One more passage ...that I think has to be taken into consideration... ...when trying to interpret Romans chapter 8. All right? And I want, you to, I want you to think about this one. This one is super easy. This one is so easy. All right, First Corinthians 3, pretty easy... ...but this one is beyond easy. All right? What passage has to be considered... ...in our interpretation of Romans chapter 8? What passage has to be taken into consideration... Any basic hermeneutical principle would demand that this passage be taken into a consideration in our understanding of Romans chapter 8. I'll give anyone a chance to, to answer it. It's so simple. In fact, if you have a physical Bible and you have it open and you're looking at Romans chapter 8, you are looking at it. It's going to probably be on the same page. No. Okay. Not, 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 the, not the, it's, uh, I'll, I'll state it again. It'll be on the same, if you have a physical Bible open, if you have a physical Bible open and you're looking at Romans chapter 8, you will see it on the same page. Unless for some weird chance, Romans chapter 8 starts on a page by itself, okay? If it does, then maybe not. Turn the page back. <laughs> go back, go back one page, Right? Everyone should get it now everyone should i I'm basically telling you what it is if you're looking at Romans chapter eight in a physical bible you're going to see it okay no the the chapter before the chapter before the chapter before because remember how Romans chapter eight works there is Therefore, if that therefore goes back to anything prior to, I think the prior to becomes critical in understanding Romans 8. All right? here we go. Let's go back to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Now let's read all of Romans 7, 14 to 25, and listen carefully to the words he uses. Listen carefully to the words he uses. Please, remember those four contrasts. Remember the four contrasts. All right? If we go back to Romans chapter 8, let's go back to the four contrasts. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. All right. That means, hey, if you're a Christian, if we, if we interpret it this way, if you're a Christian, you only mind the things of the Spirit. That's all you do. That's all you think about, the things of the Spirit. You don't think of the things of the flesh. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You're going to be on the side of life if you're a Christian, and that means you're not going to be carnally minded, which is death. You're not going to be carnally minded. You're going to be spiritually minded number 3 because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not uh, because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God you're 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 not going to be at war with God in your mind you're not going to be at war with God in your mind and then they that are in the flesh cannot please God you're not going to be uh, pleasing the flesh you're going to be pleasing God that's going to be your whole life now take that in mind. we already saw 1 Corinthians 3 we, saw, we, already, we already looked at 1 Corinthians 3, which to me already destroys the argument. But now we have the very author, the human author of the words in Romans 8. Now let's go back Now let's work our way through it. Right? Romans chapter 7, verse 14, Paul speaking. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now some will say that's Paul speaking about before he was saved. Before he was saved, he was carnal and sold under sin. Verse 15, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Now, unless you interpret that as Paul saying, before I was saved, the things I wanted to do, I didn't do. And the things I didn't want to do, I did. Why did he care before he was saved? Why? Why? Now, you could argue because he was a Jew and he was trying to fulfill the law from a Jewish perspective. Some will say he's he's writing this before he was saved. Verse 10, 16, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, but to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Not now, if I do that, I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with it, with it with me. Now look at verse 22, "For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Now that is not the words of a lost person. The lost person does not say that, that I that I delight in the law of God inside of me. No, that's not the words of a lost person. All right, and it goes on. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now look carefully at verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he knows where his deliverance is from. It's from Jesus Christ. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. That seems to be spoken even after he refers to, it is Jesus Christ who saved him. He seems to be saying that even after his salvation, he serves the law with God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now you say, no, 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 no. Well, then how do you understand that? How, why is he serving the law of God in his mind and in his flesh, he's serving the law of sin? If, uh, why is he serving the mind, the, in the mind the law of God before he's saved? Doesn't seem to make any sense. And so what is his ultimate hope? His ultimate hope is, guess what? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus Thank goodness there's no condemnation. And the way there's no condemnation is because I'm in Christ. Because it's not based on anything I have done. It's based on everything he has done for me on my behalf and imputed to my account. Therefore, I don't have to, I'm not condemned, right? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. I'm now free from the law of sin and death because it no longer condemns me. I'm no longer, it's not going to drag me down to hell. I've been set free from it. For what the law could not do, the law could not do it, that it was weak to the flesh. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus Christ took care of the problem that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. How was it fulfilled in me? It was fulfilled with me by in Jesus Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I do not walk after the flesh in my position. I walk after the spirit in my position because I'm perfectly holy in my position. But please note, Paul just talked about that in verse 25 of 7, that he serves the law of God in his mind, but with the flesh, he serves the law of sin. So this walking has to be something to do with our position. And then look at verse 5. So now how do we understand this? How do we understand this? That we understand the contrast is simple. If I'm in Christ Jesus, right? There's no condemnation. And what should I be striving to do? For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Guess what? I should try to mind and desire to mind the things of the spirit. That's what I should strive to do. That should, that's what a Christian is called to do. That's how a Christian should act. But guess what? We find situations where we don't do that. We're minding the things of the flesh. You're telling me the church of Corinth wasn't minding the things of the flesh? They were even looking at spiritual gifts from a fleshly perspective, using it for their own ego and their own pride. They, they, they had so much pride and ego that they, they wouldn't give up their own liberty and their own rights for the good of other people. Oh, that sounds pretty consistent with the culture today. And my rights, I'm not going to give up my rights for anyone. Paul said, give up your rights, even if it means don't eat, don't eating meat, stop eating meat. All right, that's that's what we should be. Now, the good thing is, we're here's the positive things. Are we always gonna fulfill that? No. So what do we have to hope? That there's now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of what Christ did for me. Now, in my position, I always mind the things of the spirit. In my position, but practically I don't. Verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I should demonstrate in my thinking that I'm spiritually minded. But sometimes that carnal mindedness shows itself. And it's, it's, it's a thinking that is in line with death, not in line with, with peace and life. What, what happened to the church of Corinth? They were thinking carnally minded, which led to death. I mean, literally people dying during the taking of the Lord's Supper. That's carnally minded. Verse uh, seven, because the carnal mind is enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. I don't want to be at war with my thinking with God. I want to be at peace with my thinking of God, but at times I find my thinking at enmity with God. What, what's my hope? There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of what Christ did, not because of me. Verse 8, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't please God being fleshly-minded and trying to satisfy the flesh. You can't. And I say, ultimately, we'll never satisfy God in in and of our flesh. We never will be able to. That's why we got to rely on the imputed righteousness of Christ. I'm going to argue that the contrast is contrasting how how a Christian should be versus how a Christian shouldn't be, but we're never going to do it perfectly. I don't think this is trying to demonstrate, hey, here's the proof that you're a Christian or this proves you're not a Christian. I just don't think that works, all right? In fact, verse eight, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But we are not in the flesh. We're not in the flesh, how? In our position, Obviously, we're in the flesh because I'm right, I'm right here. I have the flesh. And that flesh manifests itself all the time. But I'm in the spirit in my position. Now, how do I know when I'm not saved? When I don't have the spirit of God. Because if I don't have the spirit of God, then I'm not in Christ Jesus. I don't have the spirit. The spirit's not sealing me. Therefore, then I'm lost. That's the argument I'm going to make. For how to interpret that. I know that goes against 99% of all commentaries. I know it does. But. I I don't know how else to look at it. I'm going to pick up a commentary here. Right right quick. Give me one second here. All right. I'm going to just skip a page here. All right. I'm looking. Okay. All right. This is how one commentary. um, This is on page 415 of a commentary on Romans. In verse 4, Paul speaks of the believer's behavior, contending that he does not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. As in verse two and three, the conjunction four and verse and verse five carries the meaning of because. The point is is that a believer does not behave according to the flesh because he his new heart and mind are no longer centered on the things of the flesh and ruled by the, by sin. See, so there's there's the idea. Say so if you're a Christian, look, you're a Christian. Your heart and mind are no longer centered on the things of the flesh. No longer. Never, never going to happen again. Well, how do you explain Paul in Romans 7? And how do you explain the people in, in, in the church of Corinth? And it goes on to says, in God's eyes, there are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who do not belong to him and those who do. Paul put it another way. There, there, are, only, there are only those who are according to the flesh and those... If I can turn the page... commentary is falling completely apart, (laughs) literally, are according to the spirit. Uh, So basically what he is saying here, that that there's only two kinds of people. And those two kinds of people are contrasted in Romans 8, 5 through 8. And it's a sign of those who are saved and those who are not saved. There you have it. That's how all the commentaries handle it that way. And I just don't know how you can handle it that way. And then get to 1 Corinthians 3 and go, well, these are Christians. Now, what they typically do is in commentaries who believe this, then when they get to 1 Corinthians 3, will tell you that the idea of a carnal Christian is a myth and it's not real. And that a carnal Christian is someone who's lost because there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. Well, then how do you explain Paul in Romans 7? Then you have to say that he wasn't really saved. And then that the people at Corinth weren't really saved. Well, then, okay, then if all of them weren't saved, then how are we saved? Because we're carnally minded. Just acknowledge it and stop pretending that we're not. And, and, and what does it look like? like I, yeah, there we have it. There we have it. I, I'm going to go against the, the normal argument. And you know how this works. If you disagree, this is the time for you not to email me. This is the time for you to demonstrate that you are always spiritually minded. You're never carnally minded. You never seek to please the flesh and that you do it perfectly. You say, I don't have to do it perfectly. I just have to demonstrate that the bent of my life is that. What does that even mean? Well, just, just, just the normal direction. What does that look like? How do you measure that? By what criteria? It's just a statement you throw out there so you don't have to really give it any serious thought, but it would be the most serious thought you could ever give. You would have to be consumed with this. You would have to be like Luther, like every day I'm going to confess. Okay, Lord, 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 today I think I was being way too, um, you know, I was minding the things of the flesh way too much. Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, because I know this could prove that I'm not saved. You would have to be spending every hour of every day worried about it. And people say, no, you don't. No, I would be worried about it because if this is going to be what proves that I'm saved or not saved, I'm going to be so preoccupied with it. But nobody ever is preoccupied with it because we convince ourselves that we really are spiritually minded, that we're not carnally minded, that we don't please the flesh while actually doing all of those things. And if your theology requires you to live in a and a constant state of self-deceit. Then that's a pretty good idea. Your theology is incorrect. Your theology should allow you to be honest with what is true inside of you. Not pretend and cover it up. There you have it. There you go. That That's... I know that you're like, that's, that's kind of repeating what we've been talking about. I know, but we got to continue. We have to continue to look at this because every commentary and sermon on Romans goes with a completely different interpretation. And everyone sits in the pew and goes, amen, amen, amen. Nobody comes to the altar and go, wait a minute. I'm, I know I'm not saved. It's like everyone just sits there and go, that's right. That's right. And, and they think, and they think this applies to all the people they know outside of their church. Those lost people over there. Everyone inside the church, I guess, is good to go. Give me a break. And you can give 5,000 examples where the church itself, by its own practices, demonstrate they're far more worried about the flesh, pleasing the flesh, with all of their activities and their fun, food, and fellowship, more than they want God's word. Well, then doesn't that demonstrate that the whole church is lost? So there you have it. Romans chapter 8, 5 through 8. You can, you can let me know what you think, and you can struggle with it, but I'm going to go against the normal way of interpreting the passage. All right, there we go. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, a very difficult section of scripture, which has been true of every verse of this book, I pray that we would give this serious thought, and I would pray that the one principle we take from this this morning, Lord, is that we do not want to have to rely on self-deceit in order to prove our theology is right. Anytime we realize we have to deceive ourselves to prove our theology is right, it's a time that we repent of our theology. And I pray that you would give us the the ability to see when we're doing that and grant us repentance so that we can remove ourselves from it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.